Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council podcast, where we like to explore mental health and your favorite fictional characters. This is Brandon Saxman. And Katie Gordon. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm good, how are you? You know what? Any day that I get to talk about my favorite fictional heroes and tie it to mental health is a good day. That was kind of cheesy. Just, just re- <laughs> but it's true. Repeated the tag. <laughs> so anyway, you're right, it is true and it is a good day. Uh, so today we're going to finish up, I think probably finish up, our discussion on major depressive disorder by talking a little bit about the treatments and just sort of how how depression maybe facilitates or how it develops. Um, but before that, like we do every week, talk a little bit about current events. Uh, Katie, tell us a little bit about these the interesting National Doctors' Day Twitter poll you posted. Two so, of them. Yeah, so I've noticed on Twitter that there are often things trending of days, and it seems like like Puppy Day, that was one of my oh, favorites. I love that. And then there's other stuff like Donut Day. That's also oh, a nice one. Don't that, mind that at all, yeah. And, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it was National Doctor's Day yesterday. And got me thinking about all those fictional doctor character, characters that I find so interesting. So we ran a poll to see who our, uh, the favorite fictional doctors were in honor of National Doctor's Day. And we did two because in the first one I had Doctor Strange... Doctor Who, whoever's your favorite one, um, Doctor House, and Doctor Spichemin from 30 Rock. <laughs> Looks like he got one vote. Um, and then someone, my friend Rob, mentioned that I excluded Doctor Horrible, Oof, which I couldn't believe that's that omission. awkward after we did an episode of all about Doctor Who. I Three know. Three episodes, actually. I know. So we had to do a second poll that includes Doctor Horrible and, and Doctor Doogie Hauser because little, I had to have a little NPH right. double nod. Nothing wrong with that. Doctor Gaius Baltar, of course, from Battlestar Galacta, and Doctor Jonathan Crane. And so our first poll, the winner is Doctor Who, whoever your favorite one is, and a few different people mentioned who their favorite was, mm-hmm. and that was 48%. In the second poll, clearly Dr. Horrible was a bad omission on my part because it won that poll by with 48% very oh, clearly. A pretty commanding win there. Yeah, so the people have spoken and they love Dr. Horrible and Dr. Who. Well, who wouldn't though? Really? That's true. I uh, Did we have any other write-ins that you can remember off the top of your mind or memory? I saw quite a few people writing in their favorite doctors, but I don't remember any other doctor... Uh, do- uh, any other doctors? Jeez, I almost got. I was so. I'm thinking about Doctor Who now, and I haven't rewatched really it in so long. <laughs> so I need to get my Doctor Who on. We got um, the eleventh Doctor. Okay. Someone wrote in, and then two people said the tenth Doctor. Well, that's uh, that's a tough nut to crack because the um, those are my two favorites, and I I can't pick one off the top of my head. So mm, sounds like it might be a next follow up poll then to really figure that's out. That's not a bad which, idea. Which one is number one? But there are twelve now, so you're gonna have to run three polls. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't it's going to be a lot to manage. Might have to wait for Twitter to update. The data analytics behind <laughs> that are just too commanding for my grasp on statistics. No, it's very true. I do want to thank the people who tweeted their favorite specific doctor because they've interacted with us on, about other things too. Jeffrey McSorley and Brian Christian from Twitter. So thank you very much for telling us who your favorite doctors are. All right. Uh, the next thing uh, we hinted at last week was that the new Justice League trailer was coming out. Uh, I, I'm kind of got my. I'm trying to remember like back in time, but also 
think about that this episode is going to be in the future. So I'm sort of in like a cognitive time lock right now. But wherever you're at in time, the position where we are in time right now is that we've gotten to <laughs> recently see the Justice League trailer. Was it the Doctor Who priming? It was the Doctor Who priming. So uh, I'm, I'm, uh, time is all wiggly wobbly. Um, so. Uh, the, the Justice League trailer, I really uh, loved it, but I don't assume anyone ever expected me to say anything different. Uh, <laughs> so probably not a huge shocker right there. But yeah, I thought it was really great. I did hear that people thought that it was a little too CGI heavy, which I think was uh, a fair uh, criticism. And I also heard people say that it didn't show anything, which I thought was interesting given the negative reaction to the Batman vs. Superman trailer, which was that it showed too much, which I agreed with. Mm -hmm. I thought the Justice League trailer did a great shot of showing, or a great job, rather, of showing us shots of all the different characters, introducing us a little bit, had good music, and uh, it hinted that uh, there are some parademons. We got to see mm -hmm. a few of those. So it was just a little sampling, and I think that's what trailers are meant to be. So Yeah, well, I think I, like you, was uh, ready to like it. It, and yes. I did like it. But then when people pointed out the things that they didn't like as much, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see that, yeah. now, that now that you said that. But um, but overall, I thought it looked great. Obviously, it's wonderful to see Wonder Woman always. And I'm very intrigued by Aquaman, which I haven't said oh, many yeah. a time before. No. But he this interpretation of him, and I'm no Aquaman expert, but looks like it's a little unique and different mm -hmm. and so I, I'm really interested to see more of that story develop. Oh yeah, me too and, and we got a shot of Mira too. Yes, right? that was really cool because cool yeah, so. people were really excited about mm -hmm. her costume. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that, that was looked cool. cool. I saw did. some comparisons for all of the characters we saw in the Justice League next to comic book examples and I think I think a, a lot of the criticism towards Zack Snyder is fire, fair but I think that giving credit where credit is due is he does shoot his movies like comic book frames and he mm -hmm. captures that really well so seeing those side by side comparisons between shots from the trailer and specific comic frames was really neat I, I like it too we know that not everyone likes that and that's okay tweet us your opinions in a nice polite way <laughs> <laughs> and we're happy to hear other points of view uh oh I just knocked something over in the studio that's, <laughs> and that's by studio I mean room <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the very last thing that we have in our current events is uh, we are currently running a Geek Therapy Podcast Network survey. So uh, you've heard me talk about it before, but I'm going to talk about it again. The Geek Therapy Podcast Network is a podcast network that the Jedi Council belongs to, and it's an awesome collection of five different shows that all sort of uh, address that intersection between sort of geekiness, nerdiness topics, and mental health or something of interest like that. So shows like Geek Therapy, Rolling for Change, Psych Tech, or Headshots, or Jedi Council. So to as a network, to make sure that we are providing the content that our listeners are most interested in, we put together a really short and uh, it's going to take you less than three minutes, I would mm -hmm. guess, survey. Uh, if you would be so kind as to fill that out for us, I'll include it in the episode uh, information. And I'm sure that we'll also be tweeting and sharing it on our Facebook pages. If you could just do us a favor and fill that out so we can kind of get an idea for who is listening to these podcasts and what are these people really interested in hearing about. So that way we can best cater the content uh, to what our listeners want to hear about. Yep. That's right. So if you could do that, we'd really appreciate it. And while you're at it, you're already kind of sitting down and you're already doing something for us. If I can just buy two more minutes of your time, and if you could just leave us a review on iTunes, uh, we would appreciate that a lot too. Because 
we like to feel good about ourselves. <laughs> and seeing those stars, preferably more out of five, the better. Uh, it, it always makes my day, and we read them all, and we feel good about them all. <laughs> so thank you very much. All right, before I get too carried away, let's talk about uh, major depressive disorder. So last week we talked about the diagnostic criteria uh, at length, and we talked a little bit about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and sort of tied in that uh, season six and how that sort of related to major depressive disorder and her experience of what was almost without a doubt uh, undeniably major depressive disorder. So today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a really quick, we're going to cover some of the theories and treatments for depression. Katie, should we start on theories or treatments? Well, maybe we can blend oh, the major theory like and treatment. <laughs> um, so I think what one of the dominant theories, and there are many different theories, depression is well studied among oh. the different mental disorders. It's received a lot of attention, which is important. One of the reasons is, it, is because it is relatively mm -hmm. common. And we talked a little bit about some of the biological aspects last time, but and, and we mentioned there are many treatments that through scientific study seem to be effective for depression. But what we like to focus on is one of the most dominant types of therapy that has amassed a lot of evidence that it works, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. More details on that in a moment, but maybe connect that with the specific theory that informs the therapy. Absolutely. So I'll introduce the model really quickly. Sure. That sort of informs cognitive behavior therapy. So cognitive behavior therapy is sort of de de developed uh, out of Aaron Beck's cognitive model of depression. Um, Aaron Beck, uh, an absolutely wonderful psychologist. He's done a m so many amazing, great things for the field. If you're not familiar with him, he's absolutely worth looking up and just sort of learning a little more about him. But to keep things short today, I want to focus on his cognitive model. So his cognitive model really all is rooted around what we call negative automatic thoughts. So a negative automatic thought that you might have might be about yourself, it might be about the world, or it might be about the future. So that could be something like if uh, you're you're sitting and uh, you get a uh, you I'm sitting in class and I get my exam back and maybe I didn't do so well on the exam so the first thing that's gonna pop into my head is Brandon you're just not cut out to to be in school or be in college or study this material and it's gonna be automatic it's not gonna be something that I sort of brought up or consciously thought about it's gonna pop into my head just like that and it's gonna cause me to feel a negative emotion and it's sort of uh, what we call the cognitive triad so it's sort of this cycle or this uh, bi-directional or tri-directional? I don't know. It's this relationship between your thoughts and your emotional responses and then your subsequent uh, behavioral responses. So the thought, automatic thought that I had in this example uh, was triggered by this uh, poor exam grade where then the automatic thought was I'm not cut out uh, to do well in school. The emotional response is probably sadness. And then the cognitive response might be avoidance. Next time I just say, what's the point of even studying? I studied last time and I still did bad. And in that, I actually feed into that cycle. So then I won't do as well on the next exam. And then I'll feel bad again. And uh, that's kind of uh, how Aaron Beck would describe that depression facilitate or develops. is kind of through this cyclical nature, through this kind of cognitive or this triad of uh, thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. That's, that's my that's my quick uh, Aaron Beck uh, cognitive theory of depression rundown. Well said, and so I think that you know basically Aaron Beck learned this from working with patients that had depression, and he noticed that they had these negative automatic thoughts, whereas people who weren't depressed might receive 
that exam and think, oh, well, I didn't do that great. Maybe I'll just need to study more next time. Or as depressed people, like mm-hmm. Brandon said, have these kind of specific reactions. And so one of the things that I, I think is particularly interesting is that Aaron Beck identified most of the common ways that thoughts are distorted by people who have depression. Oh, yeah. And so when I say distortions, we're not talking about someone willfully taking a thought that is accurate and making it negative at all. It's an automatic negative thought, meaning that people who are depressed have these certain ways that they interpret things because of the nature of the depression, um, or it can go the other way too, Mm -hmm. of course, if you're interpreting these things, you're more prone to depression in a negative way. And so usually when I talk about these distortions to people I'm working with clinically, or I have worked with clinically in the past, they relate to them. And so I wonder if our listeners relate to these at all. I certainly relate to some of them. I think it's something that most people have experienced. Uh, And and that's kind of gets back to a point that we've made a lot of times is uh, these might be things that some individuals experience or or have, uh, you know, have experience with. But the difference uh, when it becomes a disorder is when you get into that distress and impairment sort of piece. But yes. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. mm -hmm. So just because you have some of these thoughts, that doesn't necessarily mean depression. Absolutely. But there there are some common thought distortions that were identified. And one of them is all or nothing thinking. And, And that type of distortion that's been identified, the idea is that performance short of perfect is viewed as a failure. So for example, if someone is giving a toast at a wedding, say they're the best man or something like that, and they've practiced it and it's really important to them, and during the speech they stumble on some of their words. But overall the speech is great, people loved it, they thought it was touching and articulate and all that stuff, but perhaps if someone is is depressed they might think, oh but I messed up that one part. So the whole thing was a failure. And that's the all or nothing thinking. It's taking it's it's taking it all and making it it's taking it all and making it nothing. <laughs> I believe oh. that was Aaron's original, <laughs> Aaron Beck's original way of coming up with that. A Katie Gordon interpretation. <laughs> I don't think that's I think my interpretation was actually wrong on that. I think it was an all or nothing, but whatever. <laughs> I won't think I won't overthink it. Anyway. Uh, another, I'll let Brandon save me from this train of thought. <laughs> uh, another example of uh, one of these common thought distortions is disqualifying the positive. So if I can go back to my exam example, uh, I might get this exam where I didn't do terribly well, but instead of thinking, you know what, on the first exam this semester I got an A, so that's okay, you completely ignore those sort of positive uh pieces of information in favor of the negative piece of information that's sort of a firm or a consistent with this negative view that you have of yourself. So that's disqualifying the positive. And you actually, if I can go off on a smaller tangent related to my own work, you actually see this in very much in visual-spatial attention as well. People who are depressed will pay less visual attention to things that are positively related to uh, prefer things that are that's negative. That's so fascinating. Related. I mean, it's mm-hmm. amazing that you can capture it at that kind oh, yeah. of perceptual level and it just shows why it really is compelling how this is not something that people are voluntarily doing on purpose to feel bad Mm -hmm. that's really interesting Um, another common one is personalization and this is when you see yourself as the cause of a negative external event and so one example of this is let's say you're messaging someone on pick your favorite social media we'll pick facebook you're having a private uh, Facebook message. This, this episode of Jedi Council brought to you by Facebook.com, <laughs> the newest sponsor. It's the only one I could think of with <laughs> easy just, private messages. It's the only one people really use anymore. Or Twitter. I don't know. I yeah. think Twitter's coming now. I don't know. 
I interrupted you. No, that, <laughs> that's okay. So let's say you're having a private Facebook message or you're texting someone to get out of the brand names, um, and all of a sudden they stop talking to you. And so you start thinking, and I use this example because I can certainly relate to it and a lot of other people do, I must have said something that that person doesn't like and they don't like me anymore because they just stopped talking to me. Now, that would be personalization. In someone who's not depressed, they might think, well, maybe their internet connection went out. Maybe their phone died. Or maybe um, something came up and they just had to stop talking to me. But for someone who tends to personalize things, they would be more likely to view themselves as a cause. And you can see why that would kind of maintain a depressive mood or depressive kind of sad way of looking at things. Absolutely. And another example of these common thought distortions uh, with depressed individuals or individuals experiencing depression is catastrophizing. Um, so because I'm not as diverse as Katie, I can't think of multiple examples. I'm going to go right back to my exam example one That's more a good time. good one. <laughs> and, uh, so I get this exam where I didn't do so well. And instead of just thinking, well, I didn't do very well on this exam. What can I do differently next time? The thought would be, uh, I did bad on this exam, I'm going to fail this class, I'm going to fail out of college, and I'm never going to have a job. So it's really just exaggerating how important or the impact of uh, things that might be smaller or might not have as much impact or could be easily uh, maybe problem solved with a more adaptive or reflective uh, thinking style. Exactly. And so one more, there are a lot of these distortions that they've identified, oh, yeah. and, but another common one is jumping, and some of them overlap, is jumping yeah. to conclusions. And that's the anticipation that things will turn out badly without reason. And one of the ways that this shows up in depression is, for example, if someone in depression, we talked about anhedonia last time, when mm -hmm. someone doesn't enjoy things as much as they used to. So let's say their friends invite them to go to dinner in a movie. If you're not, if you're feeling kind of down and depressed, that would be usually a nice thing to mm -hmm. do, as long as your friends are nice and the movie's decent, yeah. Yeah. you know, because you get social support, um, you're getting activated. But if you are having this cognitive distortion, you might think, look, it's not going to be good. It's going to be awkward conversation, or I'm in a bad, I'm in a bad or sad mood, so people aren't going to like being around me. I'm just going to cancel my plans. And so that's kind of the jumping to conclusions part. And one of the things that we do in treatment is try to talk about you know, try, kind of push through that because usually when people go, that worst thing they're imagining happen doesn't usually happen mm -hmm. and they usually feel a little bit better. And I think the danger of the, uh, a lot of these thoughts, and that one in, in particular, is it sometimes leads to avoidance then of the, mm -hmm. uh, the event. So there's no way for the person to ever really check if the conclusion that they jump to is actually right. And because of that, they avoided it in the first place. Uh, it might actually lead to what they were worried about. For example, if I can one last time use my test example, if I jump to the conclusion that I'm not going to do well on the test, so there's no point in studying, I may not study, then I do poorly on the exam, and that can confirms the initial belief that I had that I'm not smart enough to do well on this, which then, like I said earlier, leads to that cycle that develop that can really turn into a disordered thinking that leads to major depression disorder. Yeah, so. that's, that's a great way to connect it all and show how these things continue because of that thought, behavior, emotional connection that you're talking about. So let's talk a little bit about how Aaron Beck uh, would say that we should treat depression sort of based on this cognitive model that we presented. So uh, aptly named, he developed something called cognitive behavior therapy, or CBT, and I'm sure CBT is probably a term that most people are familiar with, but maybe let's break it down uh, really quickly. So in CBT, uh, as a therapist, what your goal really is is to help 
patients become aware of when they have those automatic negative thoughts. Because a lot of the times uh, we find that people actually kind of miss the thought. Uh, the emotional response is what's more impactful and what's noticed. So what you want to have them do or help them do is to slow down and sort of identify what was the thought that led to the sad emotion. When you're feeling sad, take a step back and think, what was I just thinking? Which is kind of meta. Well, think about what you're thinking. Exactly. No, no, no. Uh, and then it's what? Very deep. It's very day. deep. Absolutely. And then once you can get them to the point where they can actively identify the uh, negative automatic thoughts that they have about themselves or the future or the world, what you want to help them do is teach them how to challenge those thoughts with evidence. So that's when you have situations like. I promised you I wouldn't go back to it, but here I go. Uh, if, I, if you have someone who uh, has a poor exam grade, the automatic negative thought was that uh, I didn't do well in this, I'm not going to do well in the class, I'm going to fail. The you know emotion was sadness and the behavior was some avoidance maybe. What you might say to help them challenge the thoughts is, well, what you do actually is directly ask them what evidence do you have for or against it. And examples might be like, well, I did do okay on the first two exams. Uh, I am in my third year of college. I've passed all of my classes so far. Uh, so it's things like that where you're really helping them uh, find the evidence to challenge these not automatic negative thoughts and then hopefully reframe those thoughts into things that are more accurate or helpful, like, oh, I didn't do well in this exam. Uh, what can I do differently next time? Uh, maybe that means that the way I studied wasn't working uh, this way, so maybe I can try a different study technique, or maybe I need to spend a little more time studying, or maybe I can work with friends or classmates to study. So it's, uh, it's really turning it into more of a problem-solving, active approach to addressing uh, the situations that lead or trigger the automatic negative thoughts or negative automatic thoughts, depending on how you want to order the words. <laughs> I think I think we'll be flexible and allow both. Cause Perfect. I think it, and, and I think that that's, if you are the person who's experiencing the depression, it's hard to do those things. And so that's why oh, yeah. having a therapist and a good collaborative relationship that can help you learn how to identify those thoughts and challenge them and reframe them, that can be really beneficial. And the goal is to teach you those skills so you can ultimately do them on your own and mm -hmm. fall back on people when you need help. But it's it's worth noting that I think this is very hard to do without some help. There are some re there are some good self help books that are based kind of on mm -hmm. um, that have been examined in scientific trials one, uh, that focus on cognitive behavior therapy. If you're interested in learning more about it, one one is by David Burns. It's called Feeling Good, the New Mood Therapy. And he's actually done a trial where he tested how effective the book was helping with depression. But for some people, I think having a therapist is is particularly helpful who can sort through these things with them. Absolutely. You might imagine or you might be sitting yourself thinking to this process and thinking, well, I do that already, or that seems pretty simplistic. That's all therapy is. Um, but when individuals have developed that cycle, and I want to go back to that point, because it becomes a very habitual sort of way to respond to those thoughts. And uh, when the information continually, it, it's a kind of an endless feedback loop that just brings the person feeling down and down and worse and worse to the point where they really need someone to really, let's hit the brakes and let's start challenging these things. And, uh, and I will very directly say, I want to teach you to be your own therapist mm -hmm. and do this on your own and be able to challenge these thoughts uh, yourself, and, and that's all really the goal, like you already pointed out. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and another thing we should say is we mentioned this is one of the most 
well-tested types of therapy for depression. It doesn't work for everyone, and there are other evidence-based approaches, mm -hmm. which we'll link to, and um, those are worth looking into as well. So even knowing if this doesn't sound like it'd be particularly helpful for you, there are other options available, and also there is evidence that certain medications are helpful, and medication in combination with some therapy is helpful, and we're going to focus mainly on the therapy, but just know that, you know, there are many... There are a few different ways, especially with depression oh, yeah. to treat that, as I kind of mentioned before. So what we thought we'd do is provide an example of this process, kind of get a little more concrete. We gave some examples, but mm -hmm. we thought we'd pick, in honor of the announcement that there will be a Batgirl movie, which awesome. I am thrilled about. So awesome. I was thrilled hearing that there would be a Batgirl movie. Second, I heard Joss Whedon is going to be involved and direct it, and obviously I'm a huge Buffy, Firefly, Dr. Horrible, all those things fan, so I was excited about that. And then the icing on the cake was when I found out that it was based off of Gail Simone's new 52 run, which I really enjoyed, and which consulted an, an actual clinical psychologist, Dr. Andrea Letamendi, who mm -hmm. does um, Arkham sessions, which, yeah. we, which we really enjoy. So anyway, um, in honor of that, we are going to look at one of the cognitions that comes out in that series as Barbara Gordon is meeting with her therapist and, and kind of run it through the process. So, so, oh, oh, so maybe the way that we can do this is uh, we'll just work through the very the actual process like you would in a session. So, um, what the to set the context one more time. This is a situation when Barbara's in session talking to her therapist, a clinical psychologist, actually written to reflect Dr. Linda Mendy, I believe. Um, and the therapist the character is yeah is named is actually after named her, her, which is yeah. so cool. <laughs> really podcasting goals, am I right? Yeah. And therapist goals Seriously. and just general life goals just for me. Just everything. Yeah. And the other cool thing that uh, Lauren from Twitter told us that, um, and made a really good point, that it would be super cool if the movie involved some of this oh, therapy. Yeah. And kind of the premise for it is that uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, briefly after um, she is paralyzed as a result of uh, the trauma caused by the Joker uh, shooting her, and, and everything else involved in that, mm -hmm. that this is her receiving some of the treatment for some of the PTSD symptoms mm -hmm. that she seems to experience. But anyway, so we, that's kind of set in the stage. So this is what the therapist sort of says. I'll just read it word for word, and then we can dive into it. Okay. Uh, and I'll link to the image as well. So the therapist says, you don't need to couch your language, Barbara. You're among friends. And then Barbara responds saying, am I? You might not feel that way if you knew. I do this this volunteer work, right? And it hit me. I looked at my uniform, and I realized to the dead center of my soul, I didn't deserve to wear it anymore. And what it's showing in the top frames is uh, Barbara talking to her therapist, and in the bottom frames, it actually shows her cutting apart her Batgirl uniform. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so Katie, what would you say might be the automatic negative thought or the negative belief that Barbara has about herself based on this? Well, I can see a couple right away, mm -hmm. and maybe we can select one to work all the way through. And also, I just want to say, as a side note, I really want to reread this whole series now. Oh, absolutely. Because I love that back so series. Good. It's so good. Um, okay, but anyway, back to <laughs> the topic at hand. Um, there are a couple things I notice in what she says. So one thing is that the therapist says you're among friends, and Barbara says you might not feel that way if you knew. That strikes me as a disqualifying the positive. So mm -hmm. in her mind... Um, because of what she's going through, you're saying something nice to me, 
But the reason for that is either you're just being nice or you don't know the real me. Mm -hmm. And that rings true as a type of distorted cognition people can have. Uh, The second thing that's, well... Uh, really stands out to me is she doesn't feel she deserves to wear the Batgirl uniform anymore. And so that really suggests a kind of unworthiness there. And it might be an all-or-nothing thinking because of something that she's done wrong. She feels that she doesn't deserve it at all. Performance short of perfect is viewed as failure. Or maybe even catastrophizing, Mm -hmm. exaggerating the importance of particular things and magnifying them. Yeah, that's where you get into sometimes where the thoughts, they don't always fit into a clean uh, sort of category, but they are always, uh, of course, specifically about the person uh, or their world or the future and and the uh, distorted negative uh, conclusions made about that. Yep, that is correct. And so maybe um, we could start with we did the first step, which is identifying yep. some. Did I miss any from that? No, nope, no, oh. I think you you covered it perfectly. So absolutely, you're right. That's the first step would be to identify it, help the patient identify it. So that's what you'd want to do is when Barbara says something like, well, you might not feel that way if you knew. Well, tell me more about that thought. What are you thinking there? And really help her get to the core belief that's underlying uh, that sentence. Uh, so then you'd kind of covered, of course, that and that identified step. The second step would be to challenge it. And we have some insider knowledge about Barbara Gordon that the therapist, of course, doesn't have in this situation. That's true. So, <laughs> you can uh, only work with what you know. You can only work with what you know. So things the therapist in this situation might ask are, you know, uh, things about positive relationships that Barbara has. She has a great relationship with her father. Uh, she, uh, in the very uh, exchange we just saw, she admits to doing volunteer work. Uh, that's a positive thing that you could focus on. Uh, so there are a number of things that you can jump on right away right there to help uh, Barbara start seeing uh, or challenging that, you know, she's not worthy of friendship or, you know, these things that we've identified because she's already also giving you little pieces of uh, evidence against it that you can use to help her start you know, seeing that other side of the argument. That's right. And the key is that this is very different than just telling someone to think positively. Oh, yeah. and Which I, is unhelpful. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah. It, if it was that easy, people would do it. Right. So it's kind of like, no, everything's fine and leave it at that. What this does is it tries to disrupt the thoughts by providing evidence. And yes. so it's a very scientific approach in that way. And, um, you know, when someone is feeling depressed, they might, some of that hard evidence is more compelling. So, you, you know, you're saying that, you know, you wouldn't like me if you know the real me. And then you name some of the positive, positive mm-hmm. things that Brandon mentioned. And you're lining up some evidence that challenges that automatic thought. And even if it doesn't completely turn around the feelings right away, it starts to chip away at the strength of mm-hmm. that negative thought. And that in and of itself can be helpful. But really, I think the last step is the most key in CBT. That is not that is speculation. That is not an empirical mm-hmm. basis, but um, per report, which is reframing the original thought and something that's more accurate and more helpful. So after gathering that evidence about the things that Barbara Gordon has done that are positive, the people that she's helped, the people that she's saved, and all those types of things, what would be a more positive reframe? I'm giving you the therapy work. Oh, I, it's it's all part of the training. Mm-hmm. This is the podcast requirement of the PhD. <laughs> um, so the reframe, of course, would be something like, uh, you know, when she says you might not feel that way if you knew, 
Uh, well, maybe getting to the core of that, maybe she has some specific reason that she doesn't feel that way, which of course is tough because we've got that sort of inside knowledge that the therapist doesn't have. But if the therapist could get to the, the trigger for that argument, which maybe, for an example, we could say Barbara might say, well, you know, there's a friend who's not communicating with me. Well, let's. how can we reframe that? Uh, maybe they're busy. Maybe they're going through their own hard time. Uh, maybe it's just something completely unrelated to you. So that's the trick is to really turn it and think about what is the conclusion that there's the most evidence for and challenging the distorted part of your own initial conclusion. So that's one way that you might do it. And, and it's, of course, tricky with this example because uh, the way I would reframe it is, you're a superhero. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, I like that reframe. Yeah. Let's just use that as, sure. like, for anyone regardless. Yeah. You're uh, a superhero. Everyone's a superhero in their own way. <laughs> in their own special way. <laughs> Absolutely. So so that's one example so of... <laughs> That's Sorry, one example. Breaking of into a some Doctor Horrible to make up uh, for that poll no, omission. It's a, it's a good one. So that's one way where you know we've identified the thoughts, we've identified uh, ways to challenge it, even within what Barbara already says, and then we've proposed one way potentially to reframe it, given the overarching context of the conversation, which I don't think we have. That's right, and another strategy that's used in cognitive behavioral therapy that I might use, and sometimes is convincing to people, is to say, you know, do you dislike your friends or think they're not deserving of things anymore because they've made some mistakes. And often when people are looking at their friends or their loved ones, they're like, no, they do things I don't like, but that doesn't mean they're not a deserving person or I don't want to be their friend anymore. It just means that none of us are perfect. But for some reason, certain people have a much harder time applying that to themselves. And so that's another strategy if you can kind of take perspectives are you judging yourself overly harshly and so again the reframe isn't saying you never do anything wrong mm -hmm. that's dishonest but you make some mistakes like other people but that doesn't mean you're not a valuable person because mm -hmm. you've made those mistakes and so this is the very short way of doing it and the best yeah. way to do cbt is really a collaborative effort mm -hmm. between the therapist and client to find things that fit and are most effective for that particular person. But this just hopefully will give you a gist of the general sense of it, because I don't think this is depicted in TVs or movies that I've seen, you know, despite I don't, being uh, uh -uh. pretty widely used. No, I agree. I can't think of a specific example, and I watch a lot of TV. <laughs> <laughs> you think so you would I've have seen it then? <laughs> just like the majority of TV I've seen. Uh, All of it. It's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 that's a great disclaimer because, uh, well, I mean, you just have to disclaim things. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it, it's just one example given the context. And we, like uh, you might know, we like to uh, talk about mental health through our favorite fictional characters. So you've got a little mental health and you've got a fictional character. That's now. right. So you can just take that to the bank and cash it. <laughs> That's going to be my sign-off, too. Just spoiler. <laughs> All right, Katie. Do you, we're already over time. This used to be a 30-minute podcast, but then we realized how much we love talking. Uh, so do you have anything else before we move towards our Pearl of Wisdom? No, I think we should get right to it. Okay, that sounds good. So the, Without uh, further delay. It's been a couple of weeks since you've gotten one of the, um, the classic time-tested... Uh, I always say award-winning, uh, critically acclaimed. Doctor Who approved. Doctor Who approved. Uh, Pearls of Wisdom with Brandon. Uh, so this week's Pearl of Wisdom, it's going to overlap with past weeks, but uh, if you want to have 
pros of wisdom. You can make your own podcast and do your own. This is my pro of wisdom. So, oh, how about that? No, just kidding. But it, it, it's a more serious one, and it's one I like to continue to say, which is if the symptoms that we've described or the behaviors or the thinking that we've described is something that you recognize that you have in yourself or that you might see in others, uh, just know that it's okay to ask for help. Um, I'm not saying that if you have these things, you're depressed because we already talked about the difference between experiencing some of these uh, symptoms, uh, which is normal for everyone, and the point where it becomes impairing or distressing, which is when we would define it or classify it as a disorder. But I just which wanna... should be evaluated by a mental health Absolutely. professional. Absolutely not by us via this podcast no. or not by any of this information. This is just for education and entertainment, of course. That's right. Um, but. If you do think you have help, reach it, or you need help, or someone you do, reach out and uh, yeah, reach out. That's the take home message. Pearl of wisdom. I like it. It's not called Brandon's take home message section. <laughs> it's pearls of wisdom. It's so. I find that the the later in the day that we record this podcast, <laughs> the more tangential we become and goofy towards the end, which is fine. I think it's a byproduct of recording on Fridays. I think so. Yeah. I think you're right. So. And it, it's a serious topic, so I feel like a little balancing at the end with some levity. Is, yeah, is absolutely. Nice. It's important to, uh, to, to keep that, that balance, I agree, in life in general. And you can revisit our podcast on humor to sort of get a, a, re, a reiteration of that pearl of wisdom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Katie, anything else before we wrap up for this uh, next fantastic episode, epic conclusion to our mini-series on depression? No, just as usual, thank you for listening. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have a minute, please fill out that Geek Therapy Podcast Network survey. We'd love to hear back from you. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter or at www.jedi-council.com. We've got a new blog post coming up tomorrow. Uh, well, ah, dang it, there I go again. There's a new blog post coming up six days ago, I think <laughs> is how time works. Uh, or something like that. Around April 1st Around April 1st. I don't know where you are in time, mm-hmm. but on April 1st there'll be a new blog post. You can check that out and check out all the other great blog posts we've written about a variety of fictional characters. If there are any characters you're interested in reading about or hearing about, please tweet them or message them to us or email them to us at jediconcilblog at gmail.com. Um, and if you enjoy what you're hearing, just go ahead and leave us a review. We love to hear what uh, folks think of the show or tweet at us or tweet about us or tell your friends, family, loved ones, uh, anyone. Tell any, any and everyone about this podcast. <laughs> All right, folks. What did I, what did I say my sign-off was going to be? I already forgot it. It was... I can't remember it. it it's, it's actually... See you later, alligator, <laughs> which I think I've used before. <laughs>